But now NFTs have such a bad rep and crypto has such a bad rep. I don't think people are going to see it like that. So how do we change the narrative and how do we tell the story that we want to tell, which is this could be good for you and for us. And at the end of the day, fans do want things to be good for their clubs. Nobody's denying that. They just don't want to feel ripped off in the process, right? Welcome to the Sporting Crypto podcast, where we talk to leaders in sports and Web3 about their journeys within this very strange world. And joining me on episode three is Preeti Shetty, CEO of Upshot System, and somehow still has time to be an advisor, mentor for various other things as well. Preeti, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Was that an accurate description of your day jobs and, and doings? <laughs> uh, yes, I have a day job and lots of other side hustles and basically I describe it as lots of juggling. Spinning plates. Always spinning fun. Plates. Always fun. Uh, why don't you begin by telling us a bit more about what your energy is mostly focused on these days? <laughs> uh, so mostly it's focused on uh, running my business Upshot, which is a tech social enterprise that works with mostly sport organizations, nonprofits, to help them measure their social impact. So really looking at what data they collect to help them evidence their success or failures. And that's primarily what I do. Outside of day job, I sit on a number of boards. And so I'm on the board of a physical activity charity called London Sport. I'm on the board of an international development charity called Street Child United. And I am a director of Brentford Football Club. Not much then. Not much. Not much. Uh, and then Web3, crypto. I mean, I have to be honest, when we first met, I was like super surprised that someone with your resume and day to day was interested in Web3. But We've had some amazing chats since and seen you at a lot of the sporting crypto events. What sparked your personal interest there? It's a good question. I mean, I don't think that I was necessarily looking for Web3. It kind of just found me. I think for me, it was really, you know, lockdown gave me not necessarily more time, but time to delve into a lot more black holes. And I ended up sort of, you know, I'd, I'd heard about it and people would talk about it. My, my partner got into to crypto in sort of 20, 2018, 2019. And I always ignored it. Like I'd walk into the room and I I describe it as like I'd see these numbers on a screen and I'd walk straight back out <laughs> because I didn't really understand any of the graphs and I didn't really care. And so, you know, I it, it was in my vision peripherally. I just never engaged with it. And then at the start of lockdown, you know, I started to have more conversations with people and read a bit more and look into it a bit more and then really found myself seeing use cases and applications that I didn't think I saw the first time around. And that for me was really like, oh, wait, what is this world that A, lots of people I know are looking at, but the thing that, that really made me delve in properly is I found it really confusing and overwhelming, and that made me want to understand it. And I found it incredibly male-dominated, and that aggravated me. And so the combination <laughs> of the two was, I think I need to know what this is. And then the, the, the more I looked, the more I was like, oh my God, wow, how did I not see this before? Who would have ever thought that the intersection <laughs> between tech and sport was like really male-dominated? <laughs> I mean, I should have known considering I literally run a sport tech company. For me, the, the interesting bit was... Considering I run a sport tech company, and I always say I'm not very techie, mm. but, you know, I, I do understand it's literally what I do for a living. 
it surprised me how little I understood. Like, I, I remember the feeling of having to read sentences multiple times because it just, it computer says no, yeah. literally. <laughs> and so I was a bit like, wait, I don't understand who is this written for because I don't understand it. And, then, and I felt like, and it's, it's a horrible feeling. I felt like I had to keep going to ask my partner or friends. And I'm like, what does this mean? Can you explain this to me in layman's terms? And so I really was like, the fact that I'm going to lots of men to ask them to explain things to me, like it just didn't sit right with me. And so I really felt like there has to be there has to be more to this. And then I was very lucky to find these like brilliant female led communities on Discord, which I also hated because I was like, what is this ugly UI? But then I found these brilliant communities where lots of other women, people were asking the same questions like, what is this? And I have to read this sentence three times. And what does this even mean? And so then I was a bit like, all oh, right, it's not just me. And that gave me a bit more enthusiasm, mm. I guess, to to really start to look at it. And then the more I did it, I found myself explaining things to other people. And I was like, all oh, right, this is how it works. It's not as difficult as it looks. There are just, I guess, a lot more barriers than I currently face in, in Web2 sport tech. It's so well put. I mean, I like to think of it as... A lot of the foundational aspects and the building blocks of, of crypto have been written for tech people, by tech people. And that is a massive barrier that's, I think, improving a little bit and, and has probably done since you kind of got interested in this in this world, but it still needs to go a, a long way. I mean, before we get into a lot more of this, can you tell the listeners, viewers a bit more about the kind of career path you've had up until now and, and how that's kind of been? Yes. So as with everything I do, I accidentally fell into sport. Um, I moved to the UK uh, to do my my undergrad in like media and comms. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was sort of exploring. I actually started to look at like production, TV production, and ended up getting an internship, a work experience at BBC Sport. And I always say I took it because it was the BBC, not because it was sport. But I've always liked sport and ended up just having one of these like a epiphany moments of wow sport changes people's lives and this is incredible it happened to be a, an outreach project that the BBC was running so very much what we would now term sport for development or sport for good mm. um, and I had this like incredible moment of this this wonderful thing that sport is and the change that it can make to lives and communities and I want to be part of this I never I always want to have this feeling and so then I actively you know decided then I wasn't going to do anything else ever again. And I never did anything else ever again. And but I had to chase it a little bit. And, you know, I started to look at, okay, well, what does the next job look like? And what does the next job look like? And ended up doing my master's and was freelance for many years, working for sport for development organizations all around the world, doing a bit of everything. So writing funding applications, helping with, with Marcoms and really through that started to look at this impact space. Like, what is impact? What does it look like? At the time, and I remember, you know, nobody was talking about data. Um, mm. It was very, like, soft and qual and photos and, you know, smiling children. Very, think very comic relief, right? Like, that was that was very much funders gave you some money and they wanted pretty pictures back. And that was starting to change. And I was really trying to understand where I could add value to this space. And ended up doing my master's and really looking at research methods and starting to get into how do we prove it? Well, I think we can use data to prove it. And, mm. and that's kind of where it all started. I ended up working at the Football Foundation for, for many years, for, for nearly a decade, where we built Upshot. And initially we built Upshot, which is basically a online 
impact measurement software, monitoring, evaluation, and learning software. So software as a service. We license it to organizations, nonprofit mostly, to help them collect good, accurate data and then report back on whether they're achieving their outcomes or not. And so it was at the Football Foundation, was really started to then really look at, okay, I get the data side. I am now working on a, a product, tech product. And I didn't really know anything about building tech products. And so that was a massive learning curve for me around getting user feedback and testing and really trying to understand what it is we were building. We knew the sector really well, the sports sector, the grassroots sports sector, but trying to then bring the tech into it. And, and the foundation was a, an incredible place to work because they they had money, which mm-hmm. is always useful when you're building a tech product. But also they gave us room to experiment and grow and figure out our place in the market. And so I did that for a long time. And then a couple of years ago, two years ago, I bought Upshot from them converted it to a social enterprise. And now we work with just over 1400 organizations, helping them do social impact stuff. Quite some story. Amazing. I want to reel us back towards the Web3 stuff, because this is why we're here. Can you recall the first time you heard Web3 being muttered inside the walls of sports organizations you talk to? I think about this a lot because I'm like, obviously, I talk about Web3 so much more now. And I think it was probably 2019 Sorare Socios, you know, Mm. that the in-between of those two things, I think, is when people were starting to mention it, but not in any, like not in a meeting. Mm. It was like a thing that, you know, some people would say, have you seen that thing? You know, that thing in the background but not as an active conversation and not to me. I think for me, the real moment of linking the two things much more closely together was Jake Nash at um, FC Notialand or Right to Dream, mm-hmm. who was a really good friend. And he and Lucy Mills and Dan Wood and I were uh, in Barcelona together and we were you know, talking about how we want to change the world of sport as we always do and sport is a tool for good and yeah. how do you really make this different and better and and that's when we really started to look at wait okay so you know we know there's these things out there but that's so surface and, and I've talked to you before about my issues with some of the, the socios type stuff how do you make this meaningful and that's mm. really where we started to look at the applications of blockchain and do some research into are there actually people that are looking at this beyond a game, beyond a way to make money? Yeah. Exactly. Which is really interesting. And I mean, you mentioned Socios. We were on a, a, a panel together where we we kind of discussed the the holes in that proposition. And you know, it remains to be seen which which way they go. But I, I do think propositions like that have essentially painted the kind of intersection between this movement, technology, whatever you want to call it, and and sport. I have criticized them in the past. I think for me, it just feels a little bit, even now, which surprises me, you know, a few years into the sector talking about Web3, it still feels like it's a one-dimensional conversation. Mm. And that really surprises me because I think we would have moved on. A lot has happened in the Mm. last few years. A lot has happened in the Web3 space. You would think the conversation would have moved on. And I don't know, at least from what I'm hearing I don't feel like it has. It still feels very NFT heavy and still very much focused on its transaction. It's still very transactional. I think that kind of makes sense to some extent, right? Like if you think about 
the business models in sports organizations, like we're talking broadcasting, ticketing, and then we're talking merchandising and IP licensing, right? Yeah. And if we think about those four main categories as revenue drivers, like NFTs yeah. touch a lot of those. Much, yeah, all of them, yeah. And if we think about, you know, I always talk about this, right? Like football as a, as a financial bubble. And we're seeing what's going on with, with PIF and then the investment and not to kind of sidetrack it. But, you know, when you get to a point where you're like, okay, now we can only make this much money from tickets a year because we have yep. this many people in the stadium. We can sell more merchandise. How do we reach people globally, frictionlessly with less overheads? Yes. Digital goods make total sense. Yes. Just the issue that the, the way they've been done so far has been pretty bad. I do think... Web3 is the answer to a lot of these things. And I do think it is a way to reach a way bigger audience than football clubs, especially smaller football clubs, mm. the ones that don't have lots of money or sports clubs generally. Uh, it is a great way for them to get this, to interact with this much wider audience. But I think because of how it started, I think that's what I'm finding funny. It started badly. There was quite a lot of backlash. Nobody's changed the tone of voice. Mm. And that I think is a little bit silly. I think there is a way to do this, which is there are lots of benefits, but talk about the benefits to the fans, to mm. the audience, before you talk about the benefits to yourself. The benefits to yourself, that's your internal conversation that you have in your boardrooms. That's like, this is why we should do it. Of course, it's a way to make a, a additional money. Of course it is. Nobody's denying that. But it is also a way to be more efficient, to have better operational structures, to build better infrastructure, to improve the way we work as organizations. I think we need to be led by that. And that's why for me, like the stuff I really like is like the ticketing side of things. Mm. Everybody hates it. There's, everybody has a problem with it. It's it's never been brilliant. If this is a way to fix that, I think everybody would be on board. But now NFTs have such a bad rep and crypto has such a bad rep. I don't think people are going to see it like that. So how do we change the narrative? And how do we tell the story that we want to tell, which is this could be good for you and for us? And at the end of the day, fans do want things to be good for their clubs. Nobody's denying that. They just don't want to feel ripped off in the process, right? I think that the narrative thing is really interesting. But actually, what, what I would argue is even more important is put stuff in the hands of consumers or fans that they know in, is inherently better for them yep. or they like it or it's a service that they want to use. And the way you've done that might de facto be using Web3 or, yes. or crypto. Like, you know, uh, I always point to the, the Reddit example, yes. right? Like suddenly you've got 10 million people owning NFTs. It's all on chain. I always mention this. There's Reddit forums right now where people are bad-mouthing crypto and NFTs with yeah. NFT with avatars, NFT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. which is hilarious. Yeah, it is. Again, a bit strange. And, you know, from a regulatory perspective, from a, all that kind of thing, but it just shows that that person hates the stuff, yes. but liked that specific concept. But I think that you've hit the nail on the head, just like with mobile phones and the internet. I don't need to know how it works. I don't need to know the ins and outs of it. I don't want to feel like I'm investing in it. I want to get the benefit. I want to be able to use it. And I think where this becomes really successful, and we will absolutely see it, when it's just seamlessly embedded into everything that we do. I mean, I went to a, you know, a sport conference the other day and the tickets were NFTs and it was super simple. Not one person knew it though. Like nobody yeah. talked about it. People didn't necessarily know they were doing that. And they walked them through, you know, your wallet and everything else. 
That wasn't the point of it, though. And because it wasn't the point, everybody did it. Every single person did it. And everyone was like, oh, that was so easy. You know, nobody was like, I got an NFT. Yeah. And I think that's the bit. It's like it was at um, Spurs Stadium and it was like it made it really easy to get in. And it only took me three seconds. And that's, you know, that's the stuff I care about. So how do we build this stuff in in a way that we don't have to get everyone to buy into Web3? We just have to get them to enjoy the experience and the benefit it brings them. And therefore, the goal, I don't think, is to convert anybody. The goal is to build products that are just super user-friendly and super easy. Yeah, it makes total sense. And going back to the financialization side of things, that's inherently within the tech, right? Like yes. you, you, the ability to lift and shift a digital asset and yes. do whatever you want with it means that there is going to be a subset of people that trade this or whatever. But that happens with physical goods, exactly. right? Like, yeah. you know, I know people that now make their living from trading sneakers or like, uh, you know, luxury goods. Yep. The issue is that instead of that being like 5 to 10% of this thing, it's like 80. Yeah. And that's a big issue. And I think the only way you go from 80 to like 5% of the use cases being centered around like trading, I think there's a few, like one is regulatory, two is like big brands, um, like activating with their big audiences. And three is like, you know, when you can have a Apple or Google wallet on your phone seamlessly, like this stuff is going to be a lot easier to do and brands are going to be like, ah, okay, well, instead of having to do all this weird stuff with a non-custodial wallet or build our own, that's where I, th I think it will, it will kind of explode. But I wanted to, to touch on it again, rewinding slightly to the first feeling you had. And we, we mentioned the social, so rare, like there, that thing over there. Can you remember your feeling or was it like just to brush that aside for a minute? And if it ever becomes important in my life, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention to it more. I think in the beginning, yeah, it was that. I think it was like, oh, interesting. People I know and like are talking about it and thinking about it. And that's, you know, that's interesting. But I wasn't like, I don't think, especially at that point, I don't think I was like, oh, my God. But for me, you know, and I think that that switch really happened, which is why I'm such a big proponent of the community. The switch really happened when I found good communities. And that's when I was like, whoa, I am so in. And you know, all of those like female communities I was talking about, it felt like they were my friends, like, mm. you know, in that horrible, weird, like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I've never met you, but yeah, exactly. Like, and I'm like, like, wait, is that, you know, and I was sitting in dark rooms chatting to my <laughs> friends and I was like, oh my God. And it was a difficult time, right? And I think, you know, for me, maybe lockdown had a lot to do with that. I was, it was an isolating time. I was buying a business. I had no idea what I was doing. And suddenly there were all of these really great supportive people that were talking about really innovative things that I hadn't thought about before. And it was interesting and it made me curious and and I felt incredibly supported. And that for me, that's always going to be the foundation of anything Web3 that works is a brilliant community that, you know, that teaches, that helps, that supports, the, you know, and, and we found it in real life, right? Like I remember coming to to one of your meetups in London and I was like, oh, there weren't that many women there, but I felt welcomed and mm. valued and it, I had a really good time. And I was like, oh, it's that feeling. And I don't often have that feeling in sport or in tech. And so suddenly there was this like community that was giving me that. And that feeling I always remember. And that's the feeling that I want to take forward into any Web3 projects that I do. No, that's, that's so well said. 
since that kind of era of big checks, IP being sold for serious cash, you know, I mean, there was reports yesterday, announcement that Candy Digital had um, merged with Palm Studios, another kind of NFT IP studio, basically 18 months after or 24 months after raising 100 million at a billion dollar valuation. And that world has has gone. I really don't think it's coming back in the same way that it it, it was. I really don't think we're going to see crazy amounts of cash thrown at sports IP, which is going to force sports industry in itself to think differently about this, which I'm I'm really excited about. But how have those conversations changed since the kind of, well, one, the crypto crash, but more like the macro environment as well, which has been really bad? The conversations have definitely changed. I think there was, you know, there was a bit of exciting excitement, jump on the bandwagon, FOMO, all of that. It's like people are making some serious money through this. We should too. Like that's where, you know, the early sport conversations that I was having were were like, this is an opportunity. We need to, we, you know, we need to capitalize on it soon. Now there's a lot more caution and there's a lot, like people are warier, but not in a bad way. Like I'm not hearing or seeing, and maybe, you know, you surround yourself with who you want to, I guess. You know, I'm not seeing people go, oh, no, we're not touching that with a barge pole. Mm. They are going, we need to think this through and we need it, we need a strategy. It needs to be considered. We need to understand why we're doing it. We need to figure out a plan. We need the right people. That's great. That's exactly what they should be doing. As with anything else, you don't, you know, you don't launch into a new market without doing any thinking. And so I think the conversations are, this is here to stay in some way or the other. Mm. What we do with it, we might want to just stop and think for a second. That's also why I th- I think you've seen a sudden pickup in the in the Web three sports space of consultants consultancies, <laughs> because where you've got people going, we need to think about it. You've got fifty consultants going, oh, I'll help you think about it, and they go hand in hand, right? But I I, I do think the conversations are there are bits of this that aren't going to go. At, that, that will always be here, and I think there are bits that people have now sort of accepted. Yeah, metaverse. The fact that blockchain will be used in some way, at least in ticketing, if nothing else, NFTs for rewarding loyalty, that kind of thing. I think now that's like, yes, for sure. How we go about doing it, I think, is a bit more considered. Everyone knows we're going from point A to point B. Everyone now knows the direction of travel, which I really don't think was the case Mm. like three years ago. and, And that's really important. And actually, for a, I'd say for 80% of the businesses, they'll realize that they'll only be on one part of this direction of travel. They yes. won't have to touch all of it. And I think that's really important. That realization is super important because it's scary and overwhelming, as we talked about. Like Even you know, those of us that like it and are in it find it a, a bit much. And I think that realization <laughs> for clubs... For, for rights holders, which is like, we don't have to do all of it. You don't need a Web3 department and you don't have to do something in every area. Pick the one that will solve the problem that you have or give you the most value or give your fans the most value. That's the thing that, that you then go put your, all your eggs in. You know what I mean? And mm. I think that realization has been comforting to people where it's like, oh, okay, wait, we don't have to go do some big, crazy thing. We can do little, small, and like, you know, the conversations I have with Brentford are, it doesn't need to be some big splashy thing. We're not doing it for a, as a PR stunt. 
we might be using bits of blockchain technology to help us operationally. We might be using stuff to improve ticketing. We might be doing stuff, you know, in the, and we're doing none of these, by the way, but these are all hypothetical. We might do stuff in the metaverse in this space. We need to be problem led, right? What is it that we're trying to solve rather than where can we use Web3 everywhere in our business? I don't think that is the answer. Um, and then you might only end up doing two things, but do, those two things will be a game changer for your organization because you've thought it through. And internally, a lot of these orgs, the ones that don't have someone Web3 specific or a, or a consultant, you know, not plugging my services, um, <laughs> where have you seen it land? Whose desk is, does it sit on at the moment? This is a great question because I think it's been quite mixed. Yeah. I've seen it sit within the kind of Marcom's sponsorshipy side quite a lot because partnerships, rev- partnerships market, revenue generation, right? But then equally, I've seen it. I've seen organizations where it's like with the IT person and I'm like, what are you doing? What? Like I've literally had a conversation where someone said, I was talking, we were talking about this and someone said, yeah, you know, we're really interested. We just have a lot of IT projects going on right now. And I was like, this is it's not funny an IT because project. I had a conversation with someone yesterday and I won't name the club for obvious reasons, but they were like, a lot of the conversations are now happening with our CTO. And I yeah. was like, that's interesting. That's interesting. It is interesting. And I can kind of see it, like it's digital innovation and some, you know, but it's interesting because the risk with all of these things is that it sits in a weird silo somewhere because I don't know if your partnerships team is thinking about efficiency in that side or your playing department is thinking about. And I think in some sense with, with anything like this for it to work, you sort of need a bit more like working group style, a few people from different teams to go what is it that we're trying to do here? How can it help us? But the first step has to be education. And like, you know, we've just done it at Brentford. We, lots of people have different levels of understanding. And we sort of said, can we all just do a Web3 101? What is it? Mm. Let's talk about the different bits and let's just get, a, you know, we, we start on the same page. So then we, when we're talking about things, we all know what we mean. And so I did a little session with them uh, and Ben Mee joined uh, mm. joined us, which was lovely. And he talked about um, his experience and, and you know, his interest in, in the Web3 space. And it was really well attended. And lots of people from lots of different departments showed up and they were like, oh, some of them were like, wow, I'm fascinated. And some of them were like, yeah, not for me, but I learned something. But at least we've started with education. I, I do want to shift gears slightly. You're one of the most influential people in, in the women's game, if I may say so myself, from who I've met. And you're an advisor at Ready. I'd love you to tell the audience a little bit more about what Ready is. So Ready is a community and advisory service that focuses on delivering education and learning to women's sport professionals about innovation technology and Web3. Basically, where this started is um, the brilliant Lucy Mills, who founded Ready. As we got into this Web3 space, we started realizing that, especially Web3 in sport, was largely led by men, as I said, but they were also only talking about men's sport. Mm. Nobody was talking about women's sport. And so we wanted to create a space, really, where we could bring women or people that care about women's sport, you know, they could be men, to come together and ignite a bit of a curiosity about Web3, um, a safe space for people to learn and ask those silly questions and really get involved with an experiment with Web3. Our logic being when Web3 becomes mainstream, because we believe it will be, 
then they will all be ready. And so whatever they end up doing, we've given them a base that they can then build on and come up with their own brilliant ideas to hopefully supercharge women's sport. That's awesome. I mean, one of the things I was fascinated by when I first started working in sport professionally rather than curiosity, there's a lot of testing and innovation done in women's yeah. football, especially. Yeah. And, and you know, I would have conversations with, uh, you know, former colleagues and people that reached out to me being like, oh, we're about to test this really interesting tech thing. And I was like, that's actually really cool. I've, and and it, maybe it's never made it to yep. like a, a bigger stage. But that kind of ground and culture for like test and learn, I found really cool. Yeah. And I think that is, it's very telling of the sports and the people who work in the sport. One of the benefits of being slightly overlooked your entire life is you can do these things because all the eyeballs are not on you waiting for you to fail, right? And that in some sense, that's why women's sport can do this is because there's brilliant people that are looking, that understand that women's sport doesn't have the same level of resource that men's sport is going to, and, and it never will. Hopefully it will one day, but not in the foreseeable future. And so you have to be clever and you have to be innovative and you have to try and do things a different way. And because there's just that culture within women's sport that everyone's like, take a risk, do something, because, you know, we need to, because we're not going to do it the traditional way. People are a lot more open to, there's less barriers, there's less bureaucracy. People are like, oh, give it a go bootstrap it, go and figure it out, test and learn. And I do think it does mean it's a bit of a hotbed for for experimenting and innovation because it's had to be. And how receptive has the women's game been to Web3? Honestly, from our experience, really receptive, um, which, again, I, not surprised for all of the, thing, the reasons we just talked about. But, you know, we did a, um, a, a ready event a couple of months ago uh, at Two Circles and we we invited, you know, just anybody who wanted to come really, you know, a b- bunch of people, middle to senior management and working in women's sport. And it was a room of brilliant women mostly, but also men that said things like, well, we don't know a lot about Web3, but we want to learn because we then want to see how we can use it in blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right. And. I think the mindset is just they never say no to anything mm. without at least coming to it first. Whereas this, I feel like in men's sport, it's like, no, there's so many gatekeepers in men's sport that getting to the right person is super hard. Whereas here, the right people, the most senior people are always open to learning. And so they're like, yeah, I'll come, I'll give it a go. I'll have the conversation and we'll see if it works for us or not. You're right in that it's not that they then necessarily go and do it, possibly because there isn't the money to do it. But the openness is definitely there. What do you think about um, things like Angel City FC in LA who have been doing some amazing things? They've obviously, from a grassroots perspective, tried to incorporate some of this with some backlash, it has to be said. But it's obviously brave because they're a really big brand in women's football. What what do you think about that kind of thing where a, a fresh franchise is thinking about this really seriously? I love it. I really like what they're doing. And I think in some sense... It is easier when you are new and fresh Mm. and you don't have all of that history and you don't have to worry about what, you know, these fans, old fans that have been there a long time. Because that's, you know, partly with men's football, with men's sport, that's what we're worried about. We're Mm. worried about othering. We've been your loyal supporters for so long and now you have this newfangled stuff that's alienating us. The benefit of being new is... I mean, that happens with like digital tickets. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's everything, right? right? Anything, change, any change. People just don't like change. Football fans don't like change. 
unless it's new investment. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think it is when you're new, it gives you and you have new fans, you take it, you're all on this journey together. And I think that's what Angel City has done beautifully is we're not giving you something. We're not putting it on you. It sort of feels like we all came up with it together, even though mm. we didn't. Right. Mm. And that that feeling of community, community ownership that I think is is really clever. And I think a lot more brands, you know, because women's sport, there's, there's so much new that's going to happen. I think they will all start to be Web3 first organically. Yeah. It will just be embedded. Or at least a pillar of marketing. right? Yes, start, within it. it exactly. Be. You know, just moving slightly adjacently to that, there's obviously been explosive growth in the popularity of women's football over the last two years and I don't think that's going to stop you know World Cup this summer and um, we're having record transfer fees and big moves within the, the English game but also abroad Angel City FC as an example you know record viewership at the Euros like there are the stats we could reel off forever right do you think there's a risk that some of the kind of quote unquote bad we've seen in the kind of web three sports activities like the much maligned and criticised that we've both criticised could be repeated in the women's game if it's kind of overly commercialized? Yes. I, I think it's a massive risk. And I think as soon as, and we're already seeing it, as soon as people start to realize the potential, they all start coming in, right? Mm. And they all want a piece of this pie that they never wanted before. And with that comes massive offers of money. And with that comes all these ideas that didn't work over there, we're going to try and bring, and a lot of copy-paste. Yeah. Oh, we did that here. Let's do it over we here. We did this sponsorship. Exactly. Let's just we do the same. We did this, this NFT drop. And that for me would be a real shame. And it does not work. And this is a completely different audience. It's a completely different product. Mm. We would all be doing ourselves a disservice if we tried to replicate men's football. That's not what this is. I think we can take learnings. I think we should be looking at it and saying that stuff did work. And maybe we can take something from it. But I do not think we should be trying to do the same thing. I do think it's a risk. And for me, it's a, it's a, it kind of comes down to people. Mm. Who is working in the women's game? Because if it's the same people that are working in the men's game, then yeah, it will be exactly the same And because that's all they know. Oh, you do sponsorship for the, for the men's team. Can you also do it for the women's team? Well, they're just going to do what they've always done. And so we need new people. We need people fre with fresh perspectives from the outside or people that really understand the women's game to come in and say, this is a blank slate. We know the potential of Web3. We know the potential of women's sport, women's football. How do we do this completely differently in a way that is meaningful for our audience and doesn't alienate them like we've done with men? It's so interesting you say that because when Coinbase did their partnership with the NBA, mm. a lot of people actually don't realize it incorporates all yeah. the basketball yep. in the States, yep. right? WNBA, yep. G League, NBA 2K franchise stuff, US men's national team. That was all in the same package. And it's interesting to hear you speak about that separation because I do think on the, on the soccer side at least, but for a plethora of other sports, some of it will be combined as, as yeah. one thing, but some have to realize that it's a totally to different product. Yeah, and I think that it would be silly. I think we are at the point in time with women's football specifically. It's time to unbundle because that will give it its best shot at doing this completely differently and really unlocking those revenue streams that, you know, even if you just think about sponsorship, right? 
there are socially conscious brands out there that do not want to be associated with men's football. Yeah. But they would want to be associated with women's football if we can unbundle. And I think that's the same with, with Web3 brands, right? You know, and that's partly why why we built Ready, why we're building Ready. Who is advising them? Who are the people that are working on this? Because if you're expecting, again, they have much smaller budgets. If you're expecting the same sponsorship people to now have a big Web3 strategy plan, I don't think that's going to happen. And so do they know enough and how do we support them to do it? I think that's that's fascinating, to be honest with you. I, I think there's such big potential but also such big risk when something's on an exponential growth curve. And I do think that there is going to be that temptation, especially in like a, a down cycle for, for crypto specifically, where a lot of these brands are like, look, we could spend 20 million doing this, yep. or we could maybe reach half as many people, but for a tenth of the cost. Yep. And from a partnership perspective, and, and that tenth of a cost could be huge for, for someone in the women's game. So trying to like balance that is difficult, right? It's going to be hard to say no. Yeah. With all the best intentions in the world, yeah, there's going to be more and more money being offered that will help the women's game and lots of good people that have worked for years, blood, sweat and tears to get to this point. You know, obviously they might be like, yeah, let's take the money and help the women's game. Yeah. Is that the right decision? Will you regret that decision five years from now? Maybe. And I think that's the concern and that's the worry is... I don't want people to see women's sport as women's football as weak. Mm. We need to know our worth. We need to know our value. We need to understand and articulate the potential. And then you can come and pitch to us. You know what I mean? The other thing that I didn't realize when I was kind of asking this question is if you have someone coming in at a big ticket, but it's a crypto brand yes. that may have a mixed reputation yeah. or they might have a good one, you know, Doesn't don't know. That then becomes the baseline for future yes. sponsorships. And, you know, as a team or a brand or whatever it may be, where you're just kind of starting to hit those seven-figure sponsorship deals, if you can say, well, if we take this, not only is it really good money, but it's setting us up for future partnerships because if someone comes in to compete, they know the number, it's a really difficult decision. It is. And, you know, and as, as we've seen with the men's game, but more so with the women's game, it's much more family oriented. There's a lot more, you know, we focus a lot more on children and mm. role modeling. And so I think the brand associations are incredibly important. And I don't think, I don't think anybody in the game is, you know, is going to do this, but I do think it needs to be thought through a lot more mm. because the decisions that we make now over the next kind of two years will shape the future of, of the women's game going forward and the future of those partnerships and how people value those partnerships. I think on that note, we'll take a small break. And before we move on to part two, uh, where we look at the future a little bit more, I need to remind you that this podcast is supported by the HPAR Foundation, who are an ecosystem accelerator of Hedera, the most used sustainable enterprise-grade DLT for the decentralized economy. Together with industry-leading use cases and globally renowned partners, the foundation is actively scaling Web3 consumer engagement across the metaverse, gaming, DeFi, regenerative finance, and beyond. So let's talk a little bit more about sports fans. Tribal, passionate. What is the biggest issue right now, and you speak to a lot of sports fans, that yep. they have with crypto? I think it is a fear, right? Like a fear of 
not fully understanding it, worried about, you know, the biggest thing. It's not regulated. They're like, people don't know what that means, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's the word that you say. I think it is inherently a fear of losing money and a fear of or feeling like you are being ripped off. I think that a lot of people are like, game's gone. That kind of yeah, vibe yeah, yeah, when yeah. it comes to Web3. That is like the utter end of the paradigm, including, you know, uh, foreign investment, et cetera, all that kind of stuff, yeah. where almost 99% of sports fans are in agreement where they're like, we don't like this shit. Yeah, which, again, I think is partly ignorance. Mm. It's because they don't know. They only know, you know, because we bundle everything, they do bundle yeah. everything into one box, and it's like, we hate all of that. You don't hate all of it. You, you definitely don't hate all of it, but it's easier to just say, yeah, we don't like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's a misconception. Again, it goes back to the optics and the narrative side yes. of things where I have some conversations with people where, you know, they're talking about NFTs as a blanket thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, actually, you do realize like all NFTs mean is like owning something online. Yes. And it could be anything. Yeah. But you've associated it with this one thing, whether it be um, Bored Apes or another NFT project or Socios or something else that is like they hate or sports fans hate. And that is forever now the tie. And it's hard to break that tie. It is. It's really hard to break that tie. And I think that's also, you know, language is super important here. And because we're lumping everything or people lump things all together, you know, we say Web3, they hear crypto. And of of course they're of course they're linked there. Of course, and the same with NFTs. But we're, it's not one thing. Yeah. In your, what you're picturing in your head when I say Web three or when you say NFT, it's not one thing. And the more we can start to break that down, and again, going back to my earlier point, we don't. They don't need to understand how it works. The more we start to use easier, more accessible language, stop calling it NFTs. You know, the more we start to talk about the benefit. You know, your digital ticket. Does it matter? I don't think anybody would be like, I hate digital tickets. They they did in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, now yeah. they're like, actually, that's quite useful. Yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff, right? It's basically saying we're giving you new and interesting ways to do things that you want. You don't need to worry about the mechanism. And we need to stop linking it so closely to crypto all the time. I don't know who is meant to change the narrative because we're all saying it. Wh- whose job is it? to change the narrative because right now fans believe what they believe and I don't think they're going to change their minds. And and on that note, like, what do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are? Like when you've had conversations where you're like, oh, like your anger's coming from a point of like complete misunderstanding. And I've had those debates on LinkedIn, whatever it may be, where someone's like, this is just a QR code, right? Like, and, or, you know, everything to do with crypto is financialized or... Whatever the, the kind of misconception yep. may be, or even stuff like NFTs are Bitcoin. Like yeah. Stuff like that, sim- like surface level stuff where I'm like, whoa, there's like two hours we need to have here, you know? Yeah, there's so many of those. And I think that's partly the problem, right? Is because there's no easily digestible answer for a lot of these things. And I, I think for me, the most common ones are definitely around money, around Bitcoin, around. You know, any of these things means I'm investing my money and I may be lost tomorrow. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm having a conversation about, you know, a a memory 
of the day we got promoted what does that have to do with like with you investing your life savings into because I, I, there is a lot of that you know but my dad has he's going to invest his life savings into this thing and i'm like i think we're talking about totally different things yeah. here and so i think there's a big financial misconception around this is about you investing all your money but no it's your money isn't protected but i do think the struggle is if or the other one is the environment stuff oh yeah it's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like what a like you know it's just the thing that you've been told and so why it's do you hate true. it well the environment and it's like well, actually and interestingly when when we did the the session at Brentford that came up and Ben me actually explained it really beautifully but you know he talked about proof of work and proof of stake and like went through his reasons because he also talks a lot about sustainability and mm. it's like how do you talk about both and he was like i think we need a whole session on this right <laughs> and i think it's that it's easy to pick up on something that you've heard that you've read and say that's the reason you hate it yeah the only way that we are going to mitigate change those misconceptions is by easy bite-sized education and you know even if that's like a little explanation on what each of these things are a little explanation on like myth busting why isn't that true there's a great article on our link in the show notes by Alex Amsel which is i think it's 18 misconceptions gamers have about crypto or NFTs yeah. and if there's a crowd that hates NFTs yeah. and, and yeah. web3 more than sports fans it's gamers yeah. and some of the miscon I remember reading it and being like that's not actually a thing right people don't think all NFTs are bitcoin yeah. or um that all NFTs are bad for the environment or except all these kind of misconceptions but it's tr like it really is a thing like if you go on a twitter announcement to do with anything to do with NFTs and you go in the quote tweets i guarantee you 50% of them are just either people who don't understand or two are talking about a misconception that yeah. has like is no longer there yeah. and it's it's crazy to me that it's we're still having to bang down the hatchets on that i just think the whole thing needs a bit of a rebrand yeah. to be honest and, and then people will love it yes yeah i think i think we need another one <laughs> and i kind of think it's a shame to say this but you get the right person to sell it and you stop using the words they don't like it I guarantee we could talk about the same thing and people would be like that's an amazing idea. Yeah. It just it needs to come from different people saying with a totally different narrative. We mentioned Reddit earlier like yes. a perfect example. I remember when 100 Thieves launched a, a, a digital piece of memorabilia for a 2021 esports championship. They used three sentences in their comms. It was like we've won this thing. We're celebrating with our fans. Here's a digital version. Here it is for free. No money involved. That's it exactly. And a lot of people were like, oh my God, they're doing NFTs, like blah, blah, blah. But it got 800,000 claims. Yep. So majority of people view it, viewed it as successful. Same with Reddit, you know, 7 million unique wallets we're seeing with dot swoosh now. Yeah, yeah. I'm 100% certain that of the 400,000 people on that platform and, and dot swoosh, whatever it is, still in beta, I guarantee that there are a lot of them where this is their first ever For sure. three experience. Yep. And the reason it's their first ever is because it feels like what they've been doing yes. is just online. And that, and I think it's the gifting, right? Just gift first. Like that first interaction is the most important one. Mm. And if you get that right, and you know, I, you've heard me talk about this loads. It is just about rewarding meaningful engagement, reward loyalty. We had a great season. This amazing thing happened. We want to give you this thing, like. You know, it's always like looking back and like think about what do sports fans love the most? They love being able to say they were there, mm. right? And it's like, oh, I was. And the further back you go, 
there are often more people that say they were there than there was place in the stadium. But supposedly <laughs> they were all there. To be able to start to distinguish yourself from your mates, from all those people and be like, yeah, I was there, so was I. Oh, really? Where's your... Because, you know, here's here's my proof. Here's my yeah. thing that I got. Fans like... Fans are petty. They like yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. They like to tell their mates they're wrong. Yeah. I like being able to say I was there for the Giroud Scorpion kick. Yeah, exactly, know. right? And it's like, you, and you think about our lives in general, that is a driver of why we do think FOMO is a driver. Because mm. you're like, I don't want to miss the next one. I don't, exactly. And so, oh, he got one, I need to go to the next one. You know, it's that stuff. But give it to them. Just give the first one. Because I think if you have a good experience and then you see the value and then you're at the pub and you've told all your mates and they're all like, what? I want to go to the next one. And once people start to get it and they realize it's not a scam and nobody's trying to, you know, then fair enough, if people value it and want to pay for it, nobody's saying you shouldn't make money from it. Mm. But you have to make sure that people get it first and they've had a good experience and they've benefited from it in some way before you can say, here's another way we're trying to take your money. If I then, to your Arsenal point, if I then want to give you my money because I've loved it, that's on me. That freemium model was really important, uh, or really interesting, rather. I think we saw with Manchester United mm. the 800,000 claims or whatever it was, and then they sold another 7,777 because of the amazing number seven um, at Man United for, I think, £30 each. And they sold out really quickly, like clear validation that people wanted it after they yeah. built this community. This isn't groundbreaking money for a club like that, but it is a very interesting way to, to kind of look at it. And I think it's that, right? It's like, don't do it because it's currently going to be your biggest revenue stream. It isn't. But you're building that word. You're building a community. And £30 is a great price point. Actually, you know what? I would buy lots of things that I don't even love because I'm like, it's 30 quid and I don't want to miss out, right? But once you start to do that, then you engage with them. Then you ask them what they want more of. Then then you build this, you know, this connection and this engagement. Then you do another one and then you do another one. And at some point, this starts to become a really active community, potentially of people that aren't coming to your games, potentially people that, you know, wouldn't buy tickets because they're so expensive. But this is their way of engaging. This is then your way of engaging with your international crowd and your, you know, your global audience. Mm. It could become a brilliant standalone revenue stream that actually makes you significant money. But you have to put in the work in the beginning. And if you're going in at, I don't know, you know, 150 pounds for, I don't know what I'm getting and... Might happen, might not. Might happen, might not. Then goes badly. I had a bad experience. It didn't work in the end. You know what? I I feel fleeced, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, there is this misconception that it's like, well, Nike have made $2 million. Mm. Why can't we? And it's like, well, they have hired like an entire team. Exactly. Spent loads of money building a platform, acquired artifact for like, you know, undisclosed, but rumors of hundreds of millions of dollars plus stock options or whatever. That's not like a we're here to just play and make money. That's like, we're investing. That's not your partnerships guy just doing a little thing on the side. Because like other big, you know, like going back two years, I had conversations with people where they were like, you know, we've seen this artist make like $10 million from NFTs. How do we do the same? Like surely RIP from X soccer club or X American football club team is going to sell way better than random artist on a blockchain. And that kind of complete misunderstanding of just how much work goes into getting to that thing. It's like, you know, 
oh, I've seen Picasso sell this for loads yeah, of money. Yeah. Like, why can't we do that? We're Walmart, you know? That's, that conversation's never happened, by the way. Um, <laughs> it would be a like, great conversation. <laughs> it would be a really weird conversation. But like, we're like this huge brand. Like, surely we can just like slap our logo on it and make that stuff work. And it's the, that, that complete misunderstanding of like to get from A to point B where you've made loads of money, the journey is like, crazy. And and that's why I like it, right? I feel like in Web2, you can just throw a whole load of money at something and put your logo on something and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. You know, look at shirt sales. Yeah. And you, How many shirts come out a year and the price increases every time? People still buy them. There's yeah. still demand. You know, there is that your brand loyalty does extend quite far where people just buy any crap you put out. It does work. What I like about the Web3 space is it's not that simple. No. And we, we need you to work a little bit harder than that because we're giving you our money already. You want Now you want our money here? No, I want to see you, you wanna, work you for it. You want our money online as yeah, well? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now work for it, right? But I like the fact that just your brand alone isn't going to convince me to buy something. Because I can now interact with you in, in a whole different way, then interact with me. I want that. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm in these circles is because I want a two-way relationship. Mm. If I wanted a one-way relationship, I could go to the club shop and I can buy the shirt, which is what most people do. But I want more than that. And so you can't just do the same thing where you're like, cool, here's a digital shirt, go buy that. No, I want more. And I feel like that's what maybe sports brands are not fully getting is it could be amazing, but you have to invest time, money, effort and resource into it. Absolutely. On another note, regulation hot topic globally now when it comes to Web3 and actually it's touched sport in a, in a big way because if we look at some of the, and I've written about this, if you look at some of the lawsuits that have been filed in the US, crazily from the Securities and Exchange Commission against uh, Coinbase and Binance and again actually like on the Binance front, I kind of understand potentially suing a company that doesn't have a headquarters. Uh, and there are you know various other reasons we won't get into. Coinbase, obviously, a big partner in the NBA. Binance, sponsor of like a plethora of clubs and, and teams and brands. Ronaldo, and then you also had uh, Chili's and Flow named as one of the two yep. tokens that were talked about as securities. We've had the NBA Top Shot lawsuit as well. There's a lot here. You know, we've had so rare coming to agreements with uh, French gambling regulators. We've had. French regulators trying to create a new system for digital assets because they've got their darlings like Ledger and Sora. We've got the UK trying to be a, a crypto hub under Rishi Sunak. Who knows how well that will go? We've got um, you know Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore opening their doors at, at big rates. A16Z moving to the UK. There's some big tailwinds in the background, and you know sports. While it's not directly related. There has been backlash. There has been ASA rulings against my beloved Arsenal. There's been a lot of FCA warnings and, and, and change of rules in the way you advertise things, cooling off periods, et cetera, et cetera. How important is it that the next 18 months to three years, there are some frameworks that make it a lot easier for sports brands and you know these partnerships that happen to be one more legitimate, two safer, and three innovative enough to be interesting to the to the end consumer. I think that that last point is probably the most crucial one for me. It's a balancing act. Yes, I think having clearer frameworks would help. I think um 
you know, as with anything, when you talk about regulation, it's important. It will give people comfort. It re- it's reassuring. It means, you know, as someone that's trying to do their job, you know which side of the line you can stay on. The risk, though, is you overregulate. And then it's not interesting anymore for all of these brands, companies, organizations. Essentially in the States, right? Yes. That's everyone's kind of talking about. Exactly. Right? And so I think we need to be careful. And sometimes I feel like, you know, and the UK is a really good example. You say both things. We want to be a bit of a hub for crypto. Oh, but we need to be really careful about these things and go really hard on these things. Which one is it? Mm. Because what you're going to end up with, especially I think in countries like the US and, and the UK and France, especially in Europe, we're not going to get either side right. And so you end up in this bit, bit of an in-between where it's like, I don't know if it's worth it for me to come and invest all my money here. Yeah. I'd rather go to somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Where like, you know, things are a bit more... Clear, I guess. So yes, I think frameworks would be useful. Well, yes, I think it's, it's important. You go where some, it's somewhere is more clear, or you go somewhere where it's more not gray. at all. Yes, and like actually being in between is the worst. Yes, bit to be. It, that's pre- precisely. You know, controversially, like there are loads of uh, foundations and companies that are set up in territories that are very, very flexible, whether it be from a tax regulatory perspective, and then there are some that are hosted and and, and run in in larger countries with bigger regulatory frameworks, but that are a lot more clear, whether it's Japan, Hong Kong, or Singapore. So I think it's it's weird because if you're in that middle bit, it's actually the hardest. It's the hardest, yeah. And, you know, and I think we will see that more and more, right? It's like the countries need to decide where they want to be. And you know what? As with most things, they want to be on the side of the money, which is usually the answer to everything. And so I think by trying to appease there will be some sort of very light touch framework, which is like, we have one, we have one, but actually there's many ways around that one. Mm. And then we sit in that in that gray area rather mm. than a, a, you know, one or the other. Well, let's hope it's uh, a little bit better than that. I want to talk to you a bit about the, the future here. What are, you, what are you most excited about when it comes to kind of this intersection in the future? So the thing I'm really, really excited about, self-sovereign identity. Like that is my, like, when I think about this, That's the thing that excites me the most, the ability for us as individuals or or companies, but the individual side is what I'm really excited about, to have complete control over your own data and the ability to give it, monetize it, take it back. It's for me, it's a game changer. A, because of what I do for a day job. And, you know, we spend a lot of time, obviously, working with very sensitive personal data. And so I think about the risks all the time. I'm constantly thinking about data breaches and risks. And I'm thinking about who is doing what with the data. I'm thinking about the balance of power. Remember, I work in grassroots sport, right? And so often it is a charity that's working with young people, older people, or vulnerable people. This notion that we've always had in the world, which I understand, we provide you with a service for free because we're a charity. You give us your data in return. It's there's something a bit off about that. Yeah. In order to help and you. And it's so normalized, right? And it's normalized. Like, since and it's important, right? Obviously, we need your data because we need to know if we're helping the right people that we can help you more. I advocate the benefits of this every day. But there is something a bit off about you are in a difficult situation. I'm going to come in and help you. You give me all your data so I can help you better. Mm. There's something off about that. I love the idea of people having 
governing that themselves a bit better. Now, it raises lots of questions around would they know what to do with it, blah, blah, blah. But for me, that's really exciting. I think from a sport perspective, from a kind of commercial sport perspective, it's also just like accessibility, right? And it's um, mobility. It's the number of things I'm signed up to and the number of things, I don't even know like what, you know, just to buy something, I sign up to like 50,000 things. For me to just know and have control over that from a from a fan perspective, I think is extraordinary. From a club perspective, what it will give us to know that much more about a consumer, about a customer, because right now we know little bits and pieces and pockets. To know lots more about them so we can serve them better is super exciting. I, I, I've said this to a few people, minting or buying an NFT is such a better user flow than like buying a t-shirt oh my god from sports yeah it's crazy horrible and um that's not to say that like web3 is the answer there but like it does say a lot whereby if you have control of your stuff online whether it's data online assets whatever plugging in and plugging out of systems i think is pretty much a game changer uh, and I don't think people are going to realize that for a little while until some of the kind of plumbing is finalized yeah. and then some of the, the the applications on top are a lot better. But that's a complete game changer, being able to like move, you know, and port, lift and shift your digital identity from one system to another. Crazy. Like we're so used to Google, Twitter, Apple, whatever it may be, being our like digital footprint from yeah. A to Z. And look, like, I don't think there's going to be this utopia where that completely changes. But at least if that is the alternative and the incumbents have to come closer to that yes. alternative, it's yeah. going to make a big shit change. It's going to make a massive difference. And I think, you know, so many different use cases for stuff like this, right? It's even like we were talking about gaming earlier. It's like the amount of time that, what I think about me, the amount of time I, I spend on certain things and I get to a certain point and then you start from scratch all over again the next time you do it somewhere else. Not having to do that is life-changing. And you're right, I don't think it will be at least immediately as simple. But me not having to rely on, by no choice of my own, a third party, a middleman who knows everything about me, but I don't know, like I don't know yeah. as much about me and what I've done than Google does. And that's kind of weird. I mean, the, the best explanation of NFTs I've heard, for example, is we used to buy books. Now I still got, buy books. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I mean, right, so do I. Some people buy digital books on a yes, Kindle. Yes, true, yes. I own the book. I could burn it if I want to. I yes. could throw it out of the window. I could give it to a friend. Yes. I can't do anything with that digital book on my Kindle. And actually, Amazon could just say that's no longer yours. Yeah. It's happened in the past, well, right? Yeah, didn't they buy, what was it called? They bought some book thing, and I think now it's just they yeah. shut it down. Unlicensed. And obviously, if you had the book, you just don't have it anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's literally happened. And why have we made it a worse digital experience yes. than, than the physical one? Yeah. It makes no to it. Like, we have NFTs, and we use them all the time. They're just not actually NFTs because they're not our own. And it's yes. like it's such <laughs> so a weird, weird thing to think it about. Um, but but I want to I want to get I want to get your hot take. What is conversely some of the things that are being overhyped that you don't think are going to have as big an impact? You know, I think it is this notion of Web3 or crypto-owned sports teams. Mm -hmm. I know there's good examples. So Krauss we were talking about this earlier. Krauss is a really good example, and I'm actually fascinated. And, you know, Linkstow is doing some good stuff. I, there are good examples, but 
I feel like when I talk to people or when I'm like on these forums, everyone's like, let's buy Manchester United. I Is that the goal? Like, I don't think that is the goal. And then you look at like the Crawley Town type situation. That's not anything. That's a yeah. guy who made his money from crypto who just bought a club. They're not... They're not a Web three club in any way other than he used his crypto yeah, money. And made some NFTs. Yeah, and made yeah, it's not you know that's not and they're doing terribly and they've got you know had loads of issues. You know that's not an example I want to follow. I just kind of think, for me, I don't think the goal should be buy big sports team. There are so many things already wrong with governance in our game that I would really like to look at how we can fix some of those things rather than bring another no way. Like 100,000 people like into 100, this. That are like, people, yeah. I just don't, you know, I, obviously the idea, and, and like the Crasshouse example is a really good one because I, it's so much work has gone into the thinking through of the community and the treasury and the the strategy and, and the, how to do it legitimately how to do it exactly and I think that is a very different example whereas for me what's overhyped let's just buy a team let's just buy yeah. it's always Manchester United even before they were on sale yeah. that, that was the one right and I think that just it frustrates me I think we need to find better ways to fix up our governance problems in sport we need better ways to fund teams and I don't think the answer is let's get 100,000 random people to put some money in and then vote on who runs the club this week. Yeah, and actually, like, a lot of sports fans don't want that level of involvement. Like, we, we you know, a good example, fan-controlled football. Yes. Have announced that they're not coming back for the third season. Yes. Depending on when you're listening to this, it might have been three months ago or three weeks ago. But, again, that to me was always like the fans actually want to have that much involvement no actually some of the numbers behind how well they've done are are pretty impressive when you look into it but still the scalability and the everything about something like that where there is so much involvement to the nth degree i don't think make that much sense i mean look i think you know if we look at kind of real world you know supporter run clubs right if it is your club in your area that you know inside out that you are choosing to volunteer your time for yes I can understand how you might want to and you also would be qualified to Mm. make those decisions that makes sense for me if it's a hundred thousand random people that don't even know where your club is they are just investors yeah and therefore and and very small and they think it's cool they should not have a say in how your club is run because they just don't know. And I think that is the big difference, right? It's like, I don't think your average fan wants to make major... We go to football because we love it and it's a distraction and we care about it. I don't want it to feel like work every single day of my life. And if I do, then I will either go work for a club or I will volunteer my time. There are people who do that and I respect them massively. Our game wouldn't run without those people. Mm. But not a faceless, nameless person that has maybe put 50 quid towards something. They don't care whether the groundsman gets fired tomorrow. Mm. I care. And I think that's the difference. I think you've said that wonderfully. The last kind of topic I want to talk about is where you see Web3 impacting your your career over the next 18 months. And, you know, we were talking off air a little bit about public goods and, and something you're really passionate about because this is like where you've worked for the past uh, decade or so. Because a lot of people don't realize that you do have the kind of rampant speculative nature of crypto, mm. but the 
other side of it and how crypto was born, there is this kind of egalitarian public good idea. And, you know, Vitalik Buterin talks about this a lot, the uh, founder of Ethereum, where he says, I don't see anything wrong with board apes. Fair play to them. They've made loads of money. They should be donating some of that money to like public good projects. And a lot of blockchain foundations, a lot of companies within this space are on the public good side. I mean, we were talking about um, nouns who are an NFT project that sell a noun NFT every day for 25 Ethereum or Ether rather. And they then, their whole thing is going and funding public things, which is really interesting. And again, I don't know if we're going to see something that crazy and experimental in sport, but I do think there are learnings we can take from kind of both sides of like grassroots football, sport generally, and also the kind of public good nature of some crypto stuff. Yeah. There must be something that intersects in an interesting way, interesting way. For me, there definitely is. Like this is the side of it that I really care about, that I am really interested in. And if it was up to me, you know, what what I would like to focus all my time and energy on. Obviously, I've got lots of other things going on, so I can't do that right now. You know, when you think about the notion of a public good, so a public good, something that is for everybody, is given to everybody for free. The biggest point of a public good is just because I have it doesn't mean there's less for you, Mm. right? That's the whole point of it is there is enough for all of us. And this isn't about I'm going to take five of them so Pet has none of them. And when you think about what public goods are, parks, green spaces, football is a public good. It it was built as a public good to start with. Sport, recreation, play. It should be for everybody. It should be free. Just because I do it doesn't mean you can't do it. That mm. It's inherently built into the DNA of sport. But what we have gone and done with it is put loads of barriers in. No, there are only 100 tickets. No, they are priced at X amount. No, you need a TV license to blah, blah, blah. We did that. Sport, it was was a public good and we decided it, it shouldn't be. And for me, thinking about Web3 and how we can break that down and build a different kind of football, another type of football, game B, right? How do, how do we do this all over again where it is for everybody and you don't get to take it away from us, you big broadcast company or you big investment fund because we are reclaiming it and it is ours. And the will is is there and the... The how is what I was going to ask. The how. So for me, the how is a bit like nouns now. Like for me, the how is a different way to invest. So rather than, so, you know, I, I work in sport for development. Uh, you know, we work with people like Common Goal and there's lots of funds out there. We work with big funders. They fund institutions, charities, normally NGOs who do the work of the government. Brilliant, but there are too many charities out there and they're fighting for the same money. And in order to get that money, they have to prove all these things. Why? Why do it this way? We believe in this. We care about sport. Why don't we all fund sport to be a public good. So when you then start to think about what treasuries could do and you start to think about how we, I don't want all of this red tape. I want sport to be free for everybody. I want everybody to be able to play it. And the mechanisms, the trust mechanisms, the transparency mechanisms that have always been an issue around funding. I'm a grant giver. Mm. I give you money. I need an audit trail. Actually, that's all built in here. Yeah, yeah. So you can see I don't need all that stuff anymore. You can anymore. see the I first proposal, you yep. can see the second one, and everyone involved can see it. And that, you know, so great. So that's already done as if it was made for this. Um, we're then saying, well, actually, 
we need momentum. You need tipping points. You need masses of people. Well, where do we have masses of people with money sitting around um, that all care about sport? We have them online. So let's get them and galvanize. And so, you know, I'm seeing this, like what I would love is some sort of investment fund. And also remember, you know, female entrepreneur that struggled to get money. And I had an existing business. Like I'm always like, if you wouldn't give me money, who are you giving it to? I'm brown, I'm a woman, and I've got an existing business with 1,400 clients. Um, you know, so I think it's about investing in people differently and investing in people who want to do good differently. Mm. And so for me, it's a sport for good investment fund focused potentially on young entrepreneurs all over the world who want to use sport either as a tool to do good, like we see right now, or I love the idea of physical infrastructure. So can you own, can you all own your local football field? Do you all have a token that means you own it forever and you're invested in this thing and that is... That's your legacy and nobody can, t- and you can trade it and you can sell it. That's your choice. But And it's not too different from a co-op model. No, it's just exactly. a digital version. Yeah. So yeah, I think it could be incredible. I think there are loads of brilliant people out there that are looking at how do we do good differently? And, you know, this notion of, of regen, right? Like looking at, and I, the more I get into that space, the more I'm like, there are brilliant, brilliant people that are trying to problem solve major social issues like gender equity and poverty and climate change. And actually, they're coming together in a much more collaborative way than I've ever seen before to say, can we use this new technology and aspects of, and the ethos it was built on to supercharge doing good Mm. and just completely turning it on its head. I don't need this funder, fundee model where, grantee model where, we have all this red tape in between. You want to do good? Well, here are a whole load of people that can help you because, you know, often when you think about entrepreneurs and founders, I mean, you know, you're one, you're not good at everything. Mm. Like I'm good at this bit and I have the idea. I need the money. I need the skills. I need, well, you know what? Let's all come together with that collective goal and everybody adds their little bit to it and we all benefit from it. That's the whole notion of this, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited. Uh, I just need many, many more hours in the day. That sparked a lot of ideas in my brain, I must say. Like, let's go put a crazy proposal into nouns now and then get, like, every football club in England to match it. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, listen, uh, this was amazing. Uh, if if you folks have been listening or, or watching the entire time, thank you very much. Uh, Preeti, where can people find out more about you and what you're doing? You can find me on Twitter at Preeti Sporty uh, and on Insta and on LinkedIn. Uh, and also you can find upshot.org.uk where um, you will see all my details. Amazing. Uh, you can find me at Pet Berisha on Twitter, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A or Pet Berisha on LinkedIn. You can find Sporting Crypto on LinkedIn also and underscore sporting crypto on twitter and if you haven't done so already please subscribe to the newsletter uh, keeping you up to date on all things sport and web3 every monday Uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already and leave us a review let us know what you think and just remember that none of what we have said during the show is financial or business advice and this content is for informational purposes only web3 is underpinned by crypto and crypto is volatile meaning you can lose money if you are buying these assets personally or as a business where we're recording right now in the uk the majority of crypto asset companies are unregulated for now thanks very much for listening or watching whatever you're doing and have a great day